Hi, welcome to the Holy Fuck Podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Roxo, author of Fuck Like a Goddess, creator of Radical Awakenings, transformational coach, and student of life. I'm here to stand with you asking questions about what is sacred and what is profane and the space between. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. I want to tell you about our sponsor today, Beducated. Beducated is an online site that has classes and courses focused on love, sex, and intimacy. The site is really great and it features experts in the fields teaching you about their specialties. I watched the female orgasm class because, you know, it's always good to hear different perspectives and to brush up and it was great. Sometimes I do think I know it all and then I watch the class and I realize, yeah, there's always more to learn. You can get a free trial for all Beducated courses right now and you can get a permanent discount off for the yearly pass with my link in the show notes and my coupon code is HOLY. And this discount is forever, not just for the first year, but for life. And then you can level up your love life and join Beducated for $10 a month. They have a really big library of courses and it's exciting and it feels empowering. And it's not like you're just Googling and searching on YouTube for videos of how to do a lap dance for your lover, which, you know, could take you down many, many different places, but it's curated. So use my link in the show notes and my coupon code HOLY for your permanent discount for the yearly pass and enjoy. I hope you have fun exploring on their site. And now let's keep moving on to the episode. Hi, everybody. Oh, I hope you're listening in this moment. This podcast is finding you feeling good, but you know what? Life isn't always about feeling good. I think there is a place where we learn to follow our aliveness and follow what lights us up, follow what we love. And if we just chase feeling good all the time, um, we're probably not doing some of the deeper work. I don't know about you, but some of the deeper work for me is actually, it requires, it's like doing intense squats at the gym. It does not feel good. But after you're like, wow, I fucking did that. That was amazing. You know what I mean? Does, I mean, I love the idea that we follow what keeps us feeling enlivened and that we discern, well, there's a reason right now that this doesn't feel enlivened to me because it's hard and we don't avoid what's hard. And I think on the spiritual path, that is a place of discernment. Discernment is, is a word that I love so much that I really kind of tuned in deep, more deeply to. I think it was in 2018 when I went to Italy um, to do a retreat with Lama Sultram Alion, who is an incredible Buddhist teacher, Vajrayana Buddhist, tantric Buddhist teacher, who has this incredible retreat center in Colorado called Tara Mandala, and um, which I've also studied there. And I went all the way to Italy to study with Lama Sultram because um, she wasn't teaching this, she wasn't giving this empowerment, um, which is what in Buddhism, it's like one of the words used when you're getting a specific transmission. So it's like an initiation. So she is getting this Dakini empowerment and an initiation into the Dakini mandala, um, which is like a very sacred ritual. And she was only giving it that year, like two places. And one was Italy. So I decided to go to Italy and, um, 
oh God, this retreat center is amazing. I've seen, um, I don't know if you guys know Mama Medicine, a New York healer. I've seen that she does some retreats there. The place is like spectacular. You fly into Milan and you, um, you like take a, a taxi up by this gorgeous lake and it was really, really beautiful. And I got my own room. I think I had, you know, been running my business for a few years and, and I was in a place where financially I could do that, which felt so liberating. And I was single at the time and I was really in a place of deep study. And I was like, you know, if I'm going to step forward more and more as a leader in the spiritual space, I need to be studying with really wise elders, you know, um, practitioners. And so I was doing that. It was pretty cool. That year I felt so free. I went to India, I went to Nepal. I got other several, um, other empowerments, uh, or kind of tantric initiations during that time. I also studied with a Sandra teacher, um, in Berlin and had like the, a wild weekend, a life-changing weekend. So I was like very much like a mystic on my path that year. I think my social media was also popping because I was just sharing all of that. Anyway, back to the word discernment. So, um, part of the Dakini mandala, each of the Dakinis has, um, like a poison and a wisdom, which you could kind of look at as like a shadow. And if you're using gene key languaging, a siddhi or like an exalted state and, you know, um, a shadow state. And so we did this, this whole initiation and it's quite complex. Some of the tantric Buddhist, um, practices are very long and they are in either Tibetan or Sanskrit. And so they're pretty intense and laborious, but in a beautiful way, like you're doing deep work. You're not just like doing a quick fix and it's not to get anything and it's not to fix anything. It's to, um, in this case with the Dakinis to, um, feel and embody the Dakini medicine and the Dakinis, Dakini means sky dancer and the Dakinis are these beautiful mystical beings that, um, uh, don't live in the earthly realm, but they're, they're really, they have the spirit of awakening and they manifest in different forms. Um, it's interesting because the word Dakini was kind of appropriated by different people in the West, just like Tantra. And so, you know, if that's something in your languaging where you're like, oh, Dakini, doesn't that mean this? Well, uh, it's probably been co-opted for different things, just like Tantra. But this form of Tantra that I'm talking about is not like a, a Neo-Tantra, right? Which is nothing wrong with Neo-Tantra. It's just a different thing. It's back to the OG Tibet vibes. Um, so there are the Dakinis of different colors and that represent different Dakini families. And one of them is the red Dakini. And when I read the description of the red Dakini in Lama Sultram's book, I was like, oh shit, I'm the red Dakini. Oh my God. She's like, wants love and passion and sensuality. And her downfall is lack of discernment. And I just laughed about this at the time. It just was such a reflection of like my love life. It's like, <laughs> it's like girl, you need to discern. You do not need to open the door for everybody who seems exciting to come into your heart and life. Not, not necessarily body, but heart and life. And I was really learning that. And, um, I remember even that weekend, like there were these two men in my space that I actually had been 
kind of in and out of contact with for a while. And they're incredible men who I, you know, loved both of them on some level. And one of them we had transitioned into friendship, but that was a hard transition for me. And then the other one, he was like kind of a young prince who wasn't really ready for a serious relationship, but our um, attraction and chemistry and love was so delicious that we kind of got kept getting pulled into each other's orbits. Um, and I don't, I can't remember. I don't think I had gone to Berlin yet. So I hadn't met the next one who was about to show up on the scene. Anyway, suffice it to say at the time, this red dakini, her like kind of downfall is craving. It's just craving. I want more, more love, more life, more passion, you know? And, um, and I needed to, to really learn what the hell does discernment mean? And so I had to learn what discernment was. And we learned it through learning the Dakini Mandala. And I was like, okay, discernment isn't boundaries. It's not like, okay, everybody out, you know, everybody out of my heart. Like if it's a, if it's not a fuck yes, it's a no. Well, sometimes it's not a fuck yes, because it's challenging deep parts of us that are um, unconscious and wanting to be brought into consciousness. So not everything is that black and white. Like that's kind of like basic languaging. Um, so I was starting to learn what the hell is discernment. And it was like the ability to say yes and no with like an open heart is kind of what I came to. It's like the ability to discern, like, is this something that would be um, supportive and aligned for my journey or is it not? And part of that red dakini is just like that craving. It's like more friends, more money, more love, more sex, more passion, more likes. And like, I definitely have that. <laughs> it feels very heart centric. It feels, um, you know, on different levels, it could say relate to like in, in the gene keys, I have like the wound of rejection three times in my heart. So, you know, I had these big times of feeling fully rejected as a child, um, from, but probably my parents and probably circumstances because of divorce, moving, my parents being flight attendants, all these different things, you know, mental health, alcohol, alcoholism in the family, those kind of things that would leave a child feeling rejected and kind of thrown out of the heart of love of the family. So we can have compassion for ourselves when we don't when we don't have discernment, right? Because there's like this greater wounded part underneath that's like, oh my God, all I want is just to be loved. And I can have great compassion for that part of myself. And at this time, when I started learning more about discernment and I received this empowerment, I was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready for um, a relationship that meets me deeply. And so I sort of have to say, say goodbye to all these snacks. <laughs> You know, or or I have to like really pay attention. Like this person's not available. This person now just moved to Portugal and this person lives in Mexico and this person this. This person has five kids. <laughs> this person is poly and I'm not, you know, I had to just kind of listen to these things. This person's not ready to have a family or to, you know, go deeper. And that was the wisdom of discernment. It meant saying no to like the delicious treats because um, of holding this space of like, there's something coming that's really beautiful. And I'm holding space for that, which is fully, um, aligned. And I, if I wish I had the Dakini book right here with me, actually, I pulled it out for a client who's, who came to visit me. Um, and it's upstairs, but I'll link to it in, in the podcast here notes, because 
it's a beautiful book. And, and if you're drawn to Buddhism, great. If not, it still applies. And Lama Sultram's books are really amazing. I read her book, Feeding Your Demons, and I did that training as well. Um, and that was really powerful. It's a really powerful practice where you meet these parts of yourself outside of you in this really gorgeous visualization that combines Buddhism and psychology. So mm, why did I bring up discernment? I can't even remember. Oh, learning to discern, like about feeling good, about, you know, going towards the things that feel good in our lives, that enliven us, but also discerning when there are things that we need to do that don't feel good, <laughs> you know, like doing a cleanse, you know, or like, like noticing, okay, I've been eating a lot of sugar. Maybe I should take a month. That's not going to feel good. Like, right. It's going to probably feel a little difficult. Um, and that there's a space on the path where we can discern what lights us up and what enlivens us. And that's different from just following sort of a complacency of what feels good. Like watching Netflix in bed at night feels really good to me. But I also know that that is actually not going to serve me uh, long term in the end. That taking a bath, listening to some a beautiful something um, or reading is actually going to be better for my mind space to be away from screens. And I say that because I think that we can conflate these two things, like feeling good and following what really awakens us and enlivens us. And there's a distinction there because that which awakens and enlivens us often has an edge to it. Like there's a little bit of a threshold we need to cross, whether it's, ooh, those few days where we stop sugar <laughs> or where we go sit in front of our altar instead of, you know, scroll or something like that, where there is this threshold we have to cross where it's like, this actually doesn't feel good yet, but I trust because they have the wisdom of discernment that I can walk towards it and that eventually it will feel good. And not necessarily like even feel good. It will enliven me and it will bring me closer to myself. Um, I'm giving a little peep for a podcast that's upcoming with Srimati. And she said something so amazing. Oh my God, what a, a magnificent human she is. Wow. I was like, I was getting a full darshan being in her presence. Um, and so she said, you know, I just want people to know themselves and love themselves. And I thought, God, that's so true and so simple, but also not simple, right? Um, and that if we're walking around life from this unconscious, un unawakened state where we don't really know ourselves or love ourselves, then we're an embodiment of that, that which is the opposite, right? Which is like kind of an empty or insecure, disembodied being. And that knowing ourselves and loving ourselves is like, almost this first essential part to then, then showing up, right? Like we can't show up to others without those pieces. And so we need to know the codes and the pathways that lead us home to ourselves. And the self is complex because like some of the, the, the deeper self, and I'll say the soul, because some of the ways that I have come to know my soul are strange, you know, it's not all spiritual stuff. Like I know my soul through Gothic cathedrals and like through Viking mythology. And that's not like, that's just because I noticed, I noticed when 
I started to get in touch with these, these different aspects of humanity and reality that something in me felt electrified, like literally lit up. I'm like, I don't, what the hell? <laughs> why is, why is this Gothic literature or Viking mythology or lore making me feel like I just got plugged into an electrical socket. And the thing is, I might not know the answer to that. It may be a past life thing. It may be, I have no fucking clue. And, you know, it's, I'll put that on my list to ask when I get to the other side. But the thing is, is that my own devotion to knowing myself at a deeper level, not just knowing myself that I have blue eyes and freckles and that I like to dark chocolate, but like knowing myself at a deeper level, my devotion to that keeps me tethered to my soul. It keeps me close to my soul. And I don't expect it to look like other people's. I don't expect it to be basic. I, it's like this architecture of soul is old, old and deeply crafted. It's like a deep, a rich, fine wine. Like there are a thousand tastes within it. And if you speed ahead, you don't really taste the nuance, right? Yeah. I'm really excited. This podcast will probably come out after my creative woman set free class, but I'm really excited to do that because we're going to really go into the paying attention of like, what are those things that are like free drugs for us, free electricity, the things that light us up, that, you know, set our, our heart on fire because those are clues to your soul. And it's something that I think I spent most of my twenties finding those things, like being relentless. Like there were times where I, I lived in Seattle and Capitol Hill and, um, there was this amazing old video store like that it was like one of those artsy video stores that divided up the DVDs into director's names. This kind of shit doesn't exist. You guys, the things that have become extinct in this realm because of technology, some of them are memories and feelings and sentiments that those of us who have experienced them will hold in our heart so dearly forever because our children will not experience that the glorious feeling of walking into a video store and looking at David Lynch, Lars von Trier, Alejandro Jodorowsky, and letting the soul be touched by an image, an imago, right? Where you pull the DVD and you see this image and something in you is touched. It's awakened. It's enlivened. And you have no idea why, but you take that DVD home and you watch it on your own and you weep and you scream and something awakens in you. And that is a spiritual experience that is just as valid as a spiritual experience. So I would go, I was single. It was a time between these two incredible uh, partners that I had. One who was like one of my greatest loves. We ended up, I might've mentioned this at some point, but we ended up when we were falling in love, we would write each other a little letter every day on MySpace. Did I already tell you guys this? And um, But they were like such deep artistic poetry. And so I, I cut and pasted all of them into a Word document with the dates. And then I got them bound into a red leather, gilded edged, golden edged book because in Seattle there was a, it's like the one place that there was this books book um I don't know what the word is for people who make books there must be a word but this man who made books like downtown Seattle this like little old shop right like I had to 
again, pre-cell, pre-cell phone, pre-smartphone. So I had to probably take the bus and go and go, okay, I have this like floppy disk with this, you know, 300 love letters. And, um, I also have this printout of the 300 love letters and I want to get them bound together. And I'm, I gave them a title. They were called letters of budding love. And it was like this artifact of our love. And, um, and I got, I got the book made. Oh my God, what a gorgeous book. I wish I had gotten two made because I would have loved to look back at that book. I would have loved to keep that for um, my own relic. And this ex-boyfriend, he, I wrote him a note in 2020, I think during COVID, I, I think I maybe reached out to like all of my exes <laughs> because I felt such deep gratitude and healing during that time. Anyway, I wrote him a note in 2020 and he just wrote me back like recently and he, you know, really mentioned again how that that book of love letters was something that he would treasure forever and that he he is held so deeply sacred. Um, and that was when we were 22, 23, so, you know, 16 years ago. Um, but anyway, so at the time that I would go to this DVD store, um, video store on Capitol Hill, it was between that love and then another love who was coming, who was actually my next door neighbor. And, um, I lived in this beautiful little like 1920s apartment, this art building full of artists. And I would do ritual in the, in the garden and I would bring, bring dead birds that I would find and I would create ritual with them and bury them. And my friends would come and we would cook. And there was just, it was really the golden era of my life thus far. And, um, but after this breakup, it definitely didn't feel like a golden era. I was like pretty sad. And, um, so I would go to this DVD store. I was working as a cocktail waitress at this place, the Hotel Sorrento. I was writing scripts. I wrote this script, which I mentioned before about, um, like the tarot deck. And so I was trying to get that script made and I was like making some experimental films that were, um, around different myths and ritual. They were very much ritual. And, um, I would go to this DVD store and I would just pick a DVD and I didn't know much about the DVDs and, and because, you know, the, and the internet wasn't such a big thing. I don't even think I had the internet at home. You know, I had a laptop that I would just write scripts on. And so I would pick these DVDs based on the feeling that I got looking at the cover and reading the description on the back. And some of the stories that I watched were insane, you know, like they're wild. You can't get them online. And that's, that's the part that it strikes me. It's like, wow, some of that art that was so revolutionary, so experimental, so groundbreaking, so full of myth and archetype and just humanity is inaccessible now. Cause I'll try to look for it on the internet. I can't find it. Um, but as I as I communed with different directors, different time periods, different stories, different parts of my soul came alive. And I, I, I learned who I, who I am at depth because of the things that touched me. And that was strange. It's like a beautiful, strange way to know who it's like getting to know an old friend that lives inside of you, who you're like, 
this old friend lives inside of you, but you don't have full access to them. But you learn through these clues, like through these moments where you weep. Like I'm actually looking in my office right now at the book Brita written by Paulo Coelho. This copy of the book I bought in Brazil with my aunt when I was 21 and, you know, I'm 38 now. It's in Portuguese and it's, it's, a book that Paulo Coelho wrote, again, highly recommended. If you, I would listen to it again or read it again. I've read it so many times, but it's about like this young witch and her initiation. And it's so beautiful. It's a love story too. But that book, when I read that when I was 21, I wept and wept and I knew myself. I knew who I was through that book. Same with the Magdalene Manuscript. And yours are going to be your own. You can't find who you are through who I am. <laughs> but but you'll find who you are because you're so deeply touched by certain things, by poetry, by certain musics, by certain foods. And then you'll go, oh my God, that's who I am. Wow. Because I'm weeping when I hear this song. I'm weeping. I'm laughing. I'm, I'm exhilarated, right? I'm talking like as if I was just plugged into an electrical outlet. Another moment that that happened to me was when Moon saw Jackie and Ian and I, friends, were in India and we were in Vrindavan, which is the place that Krishna um, originated from. And all the stories about Krishna and Radha um, in the Hindu and the Vedas and the Bhagavad Gita, they all kind of take place in, in, in Vrindavan. I mean, I guess some of the essential ones. And so we were in Vrindavan where um, there are so many monkeys. Oh my God, there are so many monkeys. And I didn't know, I don't know if I've told you guys this story, but I didn't know. When we landed in um, in India, we took a cab from, um, where did we, from, I think from, from uh, Delhi. Um, yeah. So we took a cab and it was like 2 a.m. that we were on our way to Vrindavan. And as the sun was coming up, Sa looked at me. He said, I got to tell you something. And I'm like, okay. He's like, we're going to a place that has some of the most aggressive monkeys in all of India. If I've told you guys this story, well, dang it. But, okay. So he's like, we're going to this place that has some of the most aggressive monkeys in all of India. And I'm like... Uh, what does that mean? And he's like, okay, you need to listen very closely. I'm like, okay. He's like, do not wear sunglasses around the monkeys. I'm like, okay. He's like, no plastic bags around the monkeys. I'm like, okay. He's like, do not have anything out that resembles food around the monkeys. I'm like, okay. And he's like, do not make eye contact with the monkeys. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, should I be writing this down? Um, and so, uh, so we get there and, you know, and I see that there, there are monkeys everywhere. They're like hanging on the telephone wires. They're everywhere. I'm, it's very intense. It was like the monkeys began to symbolize my mind, the monkey mind and the inner life that I had inside. It was like, you have, it's almost like when you're holding a snake, I guess some of you may know that I, I used to, I had a teacher who had snakes and we would dance with the snakes. You have to be so present with them. You cannot check out. Like you have to be so aware and in your body and slow with the snakes. I felt that a little bit with the monkeys the monkeys are all around. And, um, it was kind of like, you can't just lollygag. You can't just check out because they're like, they're looking for food. <laughs> like they're ready. 
And um, one morning, and I'm going to come back around to this electrical moment I had in this temple. Um, so one day, Moon and I were leaving the kind of little hotel thing that we're staying at and going across the street to the ISKCON temple, which ISKCON is like, if you've seen people um, that are Hare Krishna, um, singing Hare Krishna on the street, they are likely related to ISKCON. I'm trying to remember what ISKCON means, international, I don't know, i got to look it up later. But they're devotees of Krishna. And so when they say Hare Krishna, they're saying Radha and Krishna. Those are Hare is another name for Radha, um, if I'm correct. And there may be more nuance to that. But so um, when I agreed to go to India, Moon and Sa had already like done a lot of time in the bhakti traditions and um, studying yoga and going to uh, Rishikesh and all these different places. And so they wanted to do India in the more... Buddhist style because they were really steeped in Buddhism now. And I said, well, I'd love to go to India and, you know, go see the Dalai Lama and go do the, go to the Bodhi tree and go to the Buddhist sites. But I'd also really like to go to, um, sing and be in the bhakti. And so they were like, okay, great. Well, we'll go to Vrindavan for a few days for you, my love, which was very sweet. <laughs> so that's why we started there. Anyway, so Moon and I were going across the street for some morning chanting, um, morning kirtan, morning Hare Krishna, which is like this incredible experience where they unveil the um, altars with the deities and every day they dress them and they redress them and they put milk in them. And I think if you Google it, you can see um, George Harrison has an incredible... Uh, rendition of uh one of the the main songs that is sung every day besides just the Hare Krishna chant there is like Govindam anyway I'm not gonna try to sing it <laughs> I felt shy all of a sudden but uh if you look up Govindam and uh like maybe it's Iskon Temple there's a George Harrison version I think it's George Harrison I don't think it's the whole Beatles but every day, and you can look up online, you know, I don't know if it's good to look up online, like sort of these rituals, but you can, it's up to you to discern whether it feels right or whether you want to go experience it in person at some point, right? Sometimes we sort of demean the rituals by just Googling them, but the unveiling of these beautiful statues every day, like redressed in different outfits, it's just, it was it's hard to describe because from our Western mind, it sounds like a bit silly, but when you're in the place, you're experiencing this, this, I don't know, it's, it's, I would cry, I would weep, like something would happen in my body. I would have a direct experience of the being with these uh, statues and being with this, the devotional chants and praise. So in this one morning, Moon and I were going across the street to go sing, to go be in prayer. And there were these days where we would just go. We wouldn't talk to each other. We'd just go and we would just be in prayer and song for hours over there. Um, and I think Moon and I pretty much did that together. And I think, you know, not everybody, I think a few of the other people on our trip, maybe it was a kind of a lot to just kind of go into that level of uh, bhakti uh, tradition. But for me, it felt so good. 
And one day, this one day when Moon and I were walking across the street, she had like a little cracker in her hand. And lo and behold, we walk right out of our hotel and a monkey jumps on her and basically like as if she was a tree because <laughs> she's tall <laughs> and it like bear hugs her and grabs the cracker. And I remember because she was wearing white, there were these little monkey paw prints on her white outfit. And we did some little funny videos and stories with this. And so if you followed me on Instagram back then, you probably saw them. And those were probably like my Instagram. I probably peaked on Instagram during my India Nepal trip because that was the fucking most incredible, (laughs) Um, which pretty much makes me want to go back talking about it. And I know Moon and Saw are both going back this year and man, being in a partnership and kind of managing our lives together here. Um, it's, yeah, it's different. It's different. I'm in a different position in terms of just going, hey, let's go to India for a month. Also my business um, and my partner's been to India. He went to India for the first time way before smartphones and cell phones when he was like 19 or something. And he's 11 years older than me and he had no plan, no map you know, just took off. He's like a real true mystic in that way. He's been going to sacred sites for, uh, I guess if he's 49 now and he was like 19 then for 30 years, you know, um, and that's another story for another day. Maybe we'll have to have him on here and tell us stories about that because he has the craziest stories from Peru and Bali and India and Nepal of like just walking into a town and sleeping, like people would just be like, Hey, you can come stay at our house tonight. And like, he didn't speak their language. They didn't speak, you know, and, and there was just this, he is so much freedom and trust. Um, anyway, but so, so, you know, moon, <laughs> moon got jumped on by the monkey, let's say, but a few days later we went to one of Radha's temples and it's called the Sri Radharani temple. And, Um, we had to take like a a taxi out of town for a while. And then we got there and I feel like the temple didn't open for a while and you had to hike up. One of the things I love that's very universal about sacred sites is that you often have to hike up all these stairs to get to them. It just happened to us in Italy several times where we were going to a monastery or a chapel and we had to like hike for I don't know, like an hour and a half straight uphill to get there. By the time you get up there, you're so winded and you're so sweaty. Anyway, this happened also, um, in, in, at the Sri Radharani temple where we like had to go up all these steps. We had to go here and there. And, um, I remember I had to pee and like the only place to pee is like this little, uh, whole hut thing that smelled like so much ammonia, like like just, I didn't even know that that much urine would smell like ammonia after a while. Um, it's definitely part of, of the journey when you're in, in different places. It's like, yeah, where, how do you pee and poo? You know, like, where do you go? That also happened to me in Cuba where I was in the Cuban countryside shooting this documentary from a vice and, Oh, bless my heart. I was having a hard time and I really needed to, to, to go to the bathroom, like to go number two. Um, and there's no bathrooms or running water in any people's homes. And there were no like big trees. It was just like flat, like kind of farmland. And I was with a crew of people and I'm the director shooting this documentary, but it's not a big crew actually. It was just like 10 of us or something. 
And I went to use the bathroom or I asked, you know, is there a bathroom? And this woman pointed to a hole in her living room floor with like a little curtain. And I'm like, girl, you do not want that to happen here. Um, and it was so humbling in a way of like, wow, like I totally take advantage of the fact that like I can poop when I need to. And it's not, it's not very a laborious task, you know? Um, eventually that day in Cuba, I found a place like behind a, I don't know, behind a thing. And I, I, I made it happen, but it was excruciating for like two hours. I was in such deep pain cause I like couldn't go anywhere. And I think I had kind of probably eaten something that had upset me, which is not the first time that's happened. Like when I was, when I was 15 and I was in Monterey, Mexico, but outside of Monterey, like in the kind of edge slum area, for lack of better words, I don't know if that's the PC word, but um, probably not. Um, but we were building um, houses with my, my church from Marietta, Georgia. And I had one of those days where I got so sick, so sick, Montezuma's re revenge, and there was no running water. And I just, I remember I had to find a place. I had to find a place and I had to just make it happen, you know, <clears throat> um, and, and hope for the best. <laughs> anyway, this is part of, you know, leaving the bubble of our own comfort and safety. Part of that is taking risks and knowing you may get sick. You may eat things that upset you. You may have to poop in a place you don't want to, you know, that kind of thing. And I think that's been my life since I was a child because I, I did a lot of traveling with my dad and my parents were flight attendants. Anyway, back to India. So um, we got to we got to the Sri Radharani temple and we like climbed up the hill and we waited to get in. And when we got in, we came in and we sat on the floor, which no one else is sitting on the floor, but we were sort of bringing our meditative practice into these Hindu temples, which is very different because Hindu temples are, most of them are really alive. <laughs> People are not just sitting in stillness, like in a Buddhist temple and the Hindu temples, most of them, like there's like tons of offerings being made and people shuffling in and out. And it's very alive, but a lot of Shakti, right? It's not a lot of just like emptiness practice. And, but we still sat on the floor on this, you know, not like finished floor, like in this temple, excuse me. And we sat there and my body started shaking uncontrollably. And I was like, there was a place in, in my mind, in the conscious mind where I was aware something was happening. Like I, I had the witness was aware something was happening. It was like my witness mind was like, something is happening right now. And my body was shaking. And then I just started, tears started coming. And there was no story playing in my mind, except the story of like, oh, something's happening to me. Like I'm having an experience right now. Similar thing had happened to me one time when I went to see Ama, which was, I think the same year, which is a very, very tapped in year for me. And I, I saw Ama for the first time in Barcelona when I was 21. I saw, yeah. And so, you know, here we are like 15 years later and I saw Amma and I was shaking and crying and having like a blissful, ecstatic experience while everyone else is, you know, not everyone else, but we were in the, like the, I don't know, the conference room at the hotel in Times Square and people are, you know, eating their samosas. Um, so that I had that point of reference of what it felt like to kind of be receiving a lot of Shakti in the body. Um, 
but in India, it just kept happening in this temple. And we would all go into these sacred sites and we would just be quiet. Like we weren't talking, we weren't asking each other questions. We would just go into ourselves and just be in the energy and in the process. And I felt like someone had plugged me into an electrical socket. And I'll never know exactly what it was. Like, did I receive Shakti pot, which is like a transmission of Shakti, a direct transmission, which some of the gurus give their devotees. Like, um, one of the gurus, Muktananda, would give Shakti pot, and his, I think it was his teacher, Vivekananda, would also give Shakti pot. I mean, it's very common um, in in the uh, in some of the um, yogic and Hindu traditions. So. The reason I'm telling you that story is because <clears throat> we don't always get that, um, you know, that deep spiritual experience can come from something that direct as being in a temple, right? That is full of prayer and bhakti and magic and devotion. Or it can come from me being 22 and getting a DVD um, from the, the, the DVD store down the street, the rental place. And watching something that has me into such a deep experience. Like those spiritual experiences, not one is better than the other. They are a, a direct um, route to something deep. Um, I think that the, a little bit of the difference that I can kind of ascertain in this moment is that the, let's say, when a piece of art reaches all the way down into you that is like you're touching your soul and it's kind of like touching who you maybe already are right like if you say I don't know listened to a piece of music for the first time and you're like I don't know why I'm weeping so much you know and that the experience in the temple in India is more like this force of shakti which is like kind of the electricity awakening soul awakening Maybe it is the same. I'll have to think about that because like, isn't art, a, an, isn't art um, an expression of Shakti? You know what I mean? And maybe both are reaching soul. Um, but soul feels like it like, has an element of, of being ancient and being reawakened. You know, I think sometimes through, through art, through travel, through places, through... Um, service, like we know who we are, that ancient, ancient way. Yeah. So I guess I'll kind of leave you all with this today. Um, whenever I come on to do these solo podcasts, I, I have like ideas of what I want to do or speak to or share to, but then I let spirit take hold. So this was actually not what I had written at all. And I, I love that I, I went into storytelling because I love storytelling and I have so many of these stories of deep mystical experiences, um, sexual experiences, artistic experiences that I've, you know, have filled my life for the last 20 years, my adult life. And I love sharing them. Um, and, you know, I've been considering what I want to do in terms of my creations and programs for next year. And I've, I have two things that I'm creating. One is a a deep coven and mastermind for 13 women to be in. I'm not going to do one-on-one -on -one coaching and mentorship clients next year. I'm just going to have these 13 women that are with me for nine months um, in a deep container together because there's something about not only being witnessed and held and supported and guided by me, but by each other. 
And I did that in 2018 with six women and it was incredible. I did it with a bigger group in 2020. And so I'm, I'm coming back to that. And I, I imagine I'm going to try to do this every year in some iteration. So, um, you know, that's going to happen for next year, starting in February. And the applications for that are going to be, I think, up in November. And they'll do like um, kind of consultation calls with me. And that's really for women who are on the path. It's not really like just starting out, like trying to get off the ground. There's nothing wrong with that phase. But this is will be for um, a woman who's looking for deep sisterhood and community as she continues to give her gifts in the world in a place where she can be authentically her whole wild, weird, full self and continue to usher and steward more of that into this dimension of reality and to be an embodied heart-led woman um, and to be held in that and amplified by the group. And then my Radical Awakenings community um, this year was like a smaller group because it was a, a little bit of a deeper container. And next year I'm going to have it be a lower price and hopefully um, welcoming more of you in. And that will be twice a month online gatherings with me. Really a place to like be in ritual practice, be your wild, freaky self, remember who you are. It's like come twice a month, remember who you fucking are at depth. Remember all of you, the gnarly, the chunky, the funky, the lovely, the wild, the magical. And we all need those. I'm like two hours a month, three hours a month to remember who you are because you'll see all these other women and they'll remind you who you are. So you don't get confused and start thinking who you are is who you see on Instagram and television, you know, because that can really happen. So though that's going to happen, that, that registration is also going to open, um, in November and we'll start in February. Um, and I'm excited about that. It's kind of like I, Ruby and I started moon club, which was my first online virtual ritual and mentorship program, which was in I think 2016 or 17. So 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. This will be the eighth year um, of having that community space of amazing women practicing and loving each other. And I've expanded a lot. And so we'll be doing more partner practices, group practices, different embodied practices. Like this year, we've gone really deep in our Radical Awakenings container that's been about 30 women, give or take. Um, and we've had this like just ex experience of being able to go really deep together. The women that have stayed in it, like they, I've seen them come to know who they really are at depth more and more and to love and accept who they really are, all of it. Um, and to, you know, live from that authentic raw truth and bring that into their lives, which really has a domino effect. If you're a woman who's has the courage to live in her truth and to live embodied and to live from your heart, every room you walk into is impacted. If you walk into a room and everyone's on their phone, everyone's spaced out and everyone's in fear and you come in and you are a beacon of love, you call people into their bodies in the present moment. It's like a darshan. It's like a blessing. Like some of my favorite people are like that. They walk into a room and it's like, Oh, everybody drops into the body together. The nervous system relaxes. And so that's kind of how, what we're intending to be for life. So stay tuned for that. I want you to come join, especially 
if you're looking for that spiritual coven, sangha group to just tap in and just remember who you are, you know, just wait, wait, am I my emails? Am I my bank account? Am I my Instagram? Am I my work? Am I my laundry? No, <laughs> let me come back and remember who I am underneath it all. Okay. Love you guys. If you enjoyed this podcast, share it with a friend, um, write a review. Cause I love that. Um, and if you've read my book and you love it, did you write a review? Cause that really helps. It helps for the future for my next books and, um, get it for a friend for Christmas also really helps. Thank you. I love you guys. Have an amazing rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. For more, 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 follow me on IG at Alexandra Roxo, and you can get on my mailing list where I send poems, practices, rituals, links to upcoming retreats and events, and all kinds of goodies. And if this podcast has touched your heart, please let us know. Please write us a review, give us a five-star rating, all that. It means a lot to myself and everyone involved. Big, big love, my darling. Have a fabulous day and see you again very soon.